Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. There's a whole lot going on right now in education policy and education politics. School board elections are winding down and voters will go to the polls on Tuesday. The Idaho legislature has announced plans to return to town on November 15th. You have the ongoing debate over vaccine mandates. You have the ongoing debate over school pandemic response. We're going to discuss none of those items this week. We're going to have a little bit more fun than that. My guest this week is Todd Knight. He is a science teacher at West Ada's Crossroads Middle School. That's an alternative school. And he was recently named Idaho's Teacher of the Year. I had a chance to sit down and talk to him this week about his journey into teaching and his take on the teaching profession. Now, I will warn you and apologize in advance. We do have a glitch in the audio. Uh, about 20 minutes in, our Zoom connection kicked out because it's 2021 after all. So you'll see, you'll hear a little bit of dead space as we pick up the interview. Please stick around until the end and listen to the interview in full. Here we go. Well, Todd, thanks for joining us this week and congratulations. I, I just wanted to start by, just take a second and just give us your short autobiography. I mean, how did you end up in teaching and teaching in West Ada? Um, so I am actually a West Ada native. I had elementary, middle, and high school experience here in West Ada back before it was West Ada as Meridian Very Elementary School or Meridian School District. And I am actually got hooked onto teaching back in high school where I joined a group called Peer Tutors. And it was basically helping kids with disabilities in a school setting to access the curriculum that um, they could not access otherwise without some assistance. Mm -hmm. And I got hooked on it. Um, I, I, I was teaching them, but they ended up teaching me an incredible amount. And just, I was hooked by the amount of camaraderie and relationships that you could establish as a teacher. And I ended up leaving high school with the intention of becoming a special education teacher. Mm -hmm. And that wavered between various different things. So it finally landed on graduating with a math and science background. But it ended up that I was able to teach um, based, or sorry, I got my degree so that I was um, teaching with that one. And I jumped back into West Data because it's it's where my background was, but I also did a field experience here that I fell in love with with some of the teachers. And I I loved seeing just that authentic pouring into of students. It's it's incredible to see it. You walk through a school and you can see all these teachers just investing their lives into their students. And it's amazing to see. And I was just happy to be able to be a part of that first as a substitute and then hired as a teacher. So you're hooked and you you found your way into teaching in an alternative, high, an alternative middle school, I should say. Talk about that decision and your experience teaching in an alternative school. So um, I actually landed first with my first introduction to an alternative school. I was a substitute there and I subbed for a year and a half and I had about three sub jobs at Crossroads Middle School. And... <laughs> I, I jumped in there going, I have no idea what I'm expecting here because you hear the word alternative and you, you don't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was going to say, people school. have perceptions about the, the, the phrase and you're on the ground. I mean, you, you know the reality of it. Right, right. And there, there are different perceptions people have. And it's fascinating because none of the perceptions are like um, 
identifying a close knit relationship building that you can see. Um, I'm looking at this and as I was walking into the classroom, I had teachers left and right reach out to me and I felt welcomed, not just as a, Hey, you're another adult in the building, but as an actual peer, like I am valued for being there. Um, I, I first felt it with the teachers. It was one where that feeling was just overwhelming. And I had a lot of people reaching out and just not just a traditional here's a bathroom, but Hey, if you need something and what do you see about this? And Hey, I've got this. What if you get stuck with this, you can throw this this way. So I had a lot of teachers pouring into me, which I have not felt at very many schools. And then I had the students when I actually had the students, there was a huge level of just respect and appreciation because it's one where they get to see people pouring into them too. And it's, it's that feeling that drew me into teaching was encapsulated at that school. And it was really neat to see. So really more of a community feel between staff members and between staff and students. Yes, I would fully agree. It did come across as a very communal feeling. Every teaching community, though, has been really challenged in these past 19 months. And I wanted to talk about how that's affected you and the relationship that you've been able to maintain with your students you know, in virtual settings, in the toggling back and forth between virtual and face-to-face. How have you, how, what's worked and what have you learned along the way? Um, it's, it's always been challenged, like you said. It, these last few months are, have been like spinning education on its head and it's like, oh my goodness, what, what are we doing here? Um, the relationship component has been extremely difficult. Um, trying to get these students to build a rapport with a face on a screen, it was not an easy thing to do. And some of them remember from the previous year, like they had me previous year and they, Oh yeah, that's what he does. That's who he is. And that's how it works. It became difficult to get them to see me more than just a talking head. So during the online component of it, it was difficult. I tried to have them do different activities, get them around the house, meet back and um, collaborate with peers. And just developing that was, it, it felt like a whole lesson in and of itself. So you could scrap the curriculum for the day, it felt like, and just try and get them to focus on these interpersonal skills from a distance as opposed to in person. And that was challenging. Um, when we moved to the hybridized model, it became less challenging because then you could actually have students in the classroom seeing what you're doing and participating in hands-on things. Several students were talking to me and they're like, Mr. Knight, I am tired of looking at a screen on a computer. So coming into the classroom, they were ready to just jump into anything that was not computer-based. Right. And um, Kids were going through what like, we were going through. It's like, no, not, yeah, not another exactly. student, please. But it was overwhelming for him and being able to jump in and actually see the hands on like um, I was teaching science and engineering and being able to actually start manipulating objects and start seeing how these chemical reactions work and then start diagramming them freehand was so much easier for them to see and get in that collaboration setting to where they were online at home watching the experiment and trying to articulate their thoughts was still a challenge. But knowing they'd be doing it the next day. And then reporting their findings back to their partners was something they really enjoyed, too. So you could bridge the gap a little bit between computer learning and knowing that you had the opportunity to do it more of a hands-on setting. Because teaching science all online has got to be a a special challenge. 
it, it turned into, let's see how we can find science in the world around us at home mm -hmm. rather than a, here's the tools that we're going to use to discover it today. And like you said, it did bridge the gap. I had students on the computer actually looking at the experiment going, I want to do this differently. And it turned into, well, let's try it differently tomorrow and see what happens. So they could learn from that experience. And it, it helped bridge that gap. Like you said, it made the online component for them less of a drag. I can't think of another less word. Daunting. But it, it be, yeah. And they were able to actually engage more online because they're looking at it from a lens of that's an interesting perspective. That's an interesting way to see this. Let's try it this way. So it was, it was a neat collaboration experience. Um, just, it was ever changing though, because right. some days that worked and other days you had kids who I can't connect and it, it turned into a little bit of IT time too. <laughs> I can imagine. So it's parent teacher conference season right now. Uh, and, a, and a good time maybe to take stock of the relationship right now between parents and teachers and how that maybe has changed these past 19 months. Yeah. Um, so I think what we're seeing is, I'm, I'm feeling like part of this is where we see a lot of parents very grateful for what their teachers pour into them. And they can see from that um, distance learning perspective, they have an appreciation for what goes on in the classroom and can see how difficult it is at times. I've had several parents, um, I just finished up conferences last week and several of them are very grateful for being able to have their kids learning in a structured classroom with hands-on things rather than trying to learn through the computer with the teacher, trying to look over their work and give feedback and suggestions with it. So I know that from the parents' perspective, there's a lot of gratitude. And what we're seeing as teachers is we are really appreciative of that mm -hmm. because sometimes we don't feel that. And sometimes we look at it and it's overwhelming for us too. And we're not exactly sure how this is being received. And I think that's all really important to note because, you know, we pay a lot of attention to the school board meetings and you have parents show up who are clearly, they're frustrated, they're impatient, they're, they're burned out on the, the process of the pandemic over the past 19 months. But it sounds like they're separating their feelings about that from their feelings about the teachers. Right. I, I got an overwhelming sense of gratefulness and gratitude. There is not anything where I was looking at it and felt attacked. And like you had mentioned with following the school board, we can see that there's a lot of these meetings that are happening and the parents are, as you mentioned, able to separate the two. They're able to see an entity over here that is like the school board meetings and they have a um, stand that they want to take, but then they're able to separate that when they come to the, uh, the teachers. And it's a really, I'm, I'm grateful for it because that, that's what we as teachers need to see is that that investment we're pouring into kids is being appreciated and well-received. Was there a moment these past 19 months or so, whether it's in, Zoom class or face-to-face -face class where you really, as a teacher, had an aha moment. It's like, this is really what it's all about as an educator, and this really drives it home. The biggest aha moment I had was seeing my kids in person for the first time again. Oh, and imagine. it was, 
I, I was, it, it sounds very cliche when I say it, but it's the whole reason we teach. It's something where being able to pour into the student and being able to cultivate and nurture a, a passion for learning is amazing. And it's in, incredibly uplifting for us as teachers. And then to be able to see that when the kids come in and they're on fire, ready to learn and just wanting to apply themselves, not just the learning, but themselves to their education. It's that was my biggest aha of that's why I'm here. That's why I'm what it's all about. I'm doing. I I, I can tell you're emotional talking about it right now. So I can only imagine what it was like in the moment in the classroom. That first day was, it was very pleasant, but also very, oh my goodness, I needed that. No, I I can only imagine. So you were, you were pretty surprised a few weeks ago when you were named teacher of the year. Has it set in yet? Um, The idea has set in. Um, The, I guess it's the award has set in, but the honor is still just trickling down through me, I guess. It's we have an incredible state of amazing teachers and it's one of those things to be singled out is humbling. It's not anything you'd expect. It's not anything you you even strive for as a teacher. I mean, I don't know any teacher that says I'm aiming for this. It's, it's incredibly humbling to be chosen as the recipient for it. I know from my perspective that I am not the only one, a who could have, who could have earned it or deserved it but also B, I'm not the only one who built myself up to it. There's a phrase that I have really taken to heart over the last um, few weeks of you stand on the shoulders of giants. And I truly feel that this has been a, like, I'm just the part of the giant that is receiving the attention right now. When honestly, there's so many different um, pieces into this puzzle. There's so many different supports that are, that I've been able to build myself up on that it's, it's humbling to be isolated and recognized for it. And I can tell you, you feel like it's a culmination. I mean, it goes back to when you were in high school and you fell in love with the concept of becoming a teacher, that, that it's all built up to this, to this moment. Yeah. It's, and it'll go further than this too, because it's just, it's again, it's, it's a recognition, but it's not going to change what I do or where I, I, I don't know if it'll change where I go, but it's not going to change that passion and that drive for teaching. So, yeah. One thing that does change and one thing that does come with the, uh, with the honor and the, and the recognition is you get a podium. You, you get the chance in the next few months to go before uh-huh. the education committees and you'll, you know, talk about teaching and, and talk about your experiences. Have, have you thought at all about what you're going to try to, convey to legislators it's there's a lot going on and it's hard to choose a single topic um i'm actually choosing a topic that is very near and dear to me um working in an alternative middle school i see a lot of students come in crushed and defeated by their education um the way our current uh, standardized testing works is you have a percentile based and there's always going to be a bottom percentile I mean, it's a piece of pie of 100 mm-hmm. percent. The way mathematically percentiles work, there's always going to be a lower 25 percent. Sure. Mm-hmm. And to find to be told as a student 
that you are down in that lower 25 and to be continually repeated with that and not being shown, hey, you've grown this much, hey, you've succeeded here is extremely, it's debilitating, it's difficult. And it's after hearing it for six, seven, eight years, it starts to become internalized by the students and they start getting a mindset that's very stagnant, not a growth mindset. Right. And even though you look that, at the test scores and your colleagues look at the test scores and you, you're looking towards growth, you know, where were they right. in the fall? Where are they in the spring? A lot of the conversation is still going to be about the raw score and the raw percentile. And the raw percentile where they are sitting. And and that's going to be, even when we look at growth, it's it's something that's ingrained in the kids is they know this is this is where I'm struggling. This is an area that I am. I'm, I'm not good. I'm not a good student. I'm not a good learner. And they internalize that because they see I'm not proficient. I'm basic or below basic. They get these labels that they start to internalize and apply to themselves, especially as it relates to their education. And I've, I, I have seen it in, I've seen it in students that I teach currently where they are just so hard on themselves because they feel that they cannot achieve that task or that score that is the benchmark that they are supposed to hit. So um, I I suspect that it's probably a message of legislators are always going to focus on accountability. They're always going to expect accountability for and performance in the schools, but you have to balance that demand for accountability against the fact that we're talking about kids and we're talking talking about, about, we're talking about human beings. We're talking about individuals who are moldable. I mean, you're talking about kids who take what adults say, whether they're at the kindergarten, first, second grade level, all the way up to junior high, high school. You've got these students that can be shaped by what they hear and what they see. And especially if it applies to themselves as a person, they that's that's we need to focus on that growth. We need to celebrate them becoming better, celebrate them learning. And I think that's that's going to be my message. They edge well. That's one of them. Mm-hmm. The other, the other component that I was looking at is with all of this. Um, it's it feels like politics have entered education in a sense that has not happened before, and part of it is it's starting to cause some strife and some anxiety that I I think we need to address. We need to actually come together, be united for the kids, because. Parents and students both want the same thing. They want their kids to be successful um, in education and after education. We were um, trying to get students to become incredible community members. We want them to become functional, successful members of our communities. And it's hard to do when we are so divisive and so like polarized in different directions. And so that would be another one, regardless of the politics side of it, it needs to be something where we are united for our kids. I was going to say, you, you come at this and you, you will be coming before the legislature at a time when there's been a lot of discussion about indoctrination in schools and a lot of insinuation that this is going on and that that's, that's got to affect you as an individual, as a teacher, when you hear that. Yeah. It's, it's something where we, we teach, we teach the standards is what we do. We teach the standards as they are presented to us by the legislature and by the board. And that's, that's what we do. And sometimes it's, we go right up to that. We hit that line, but it's not something we cross. It's something that we are focused on helping to improve the students 
education and their understanding of the world around them. Put this all in the equation, all the politics, the teacher shortages that we've been writing about, it feels like for several years, and it feels like it's maybe even more of an issue now. How would you assess the state of teaching in Idaho right now? It's tough. I do feel um, I actually I just subbed today for a teacher because we couldn't get a substitute in. So I ended up um, taking his class for one of my periods and it's, it's affects us whether we are looking at it from that personal level right there to just that overall global picture or statewide picture. Um, We're starting to see how it affects the students and the teachers around us. We can't keep doing what we're doing without running the risk of burnout from some of our teachers and students, when they have a system that is continually cycled over and over, they start seeing it's 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 affecting them. Mm-hmm. There's that lack of consistency. There's that lack of stability. Not knowing if um, their favorite teacher is going to be there next year is it. I mean, I have students come back and visit me from their high school year. And they're like, hey, Mr. Knight, this was really cool. Do you remember this or do you remember me? And to have that overturning, it kind of feels like we're kind of pulling the rug out from under them when they, they come to expect that stability that we can bring. Okay. So it, it does affect us as teachers. It affects us as students, too. Right. But they're looking for adult role models and they may not be the teacher that they had that year. It may be a teacher that they had a couple of years ago who they can visit with and catch up with and yeah. bounce their concerns off of. I mean, yeah. and it's, it's something where it's, it's, it's changing. Yeah. Cause they, again, if we have that teacher burnout, that's not something that the kids are aware of because that's, they just expect to have that teacher there. It's like when you see a student in the stores, so now as teacher of the year, you're kind of a role model yourself. What advice would you give somebody who's considering this profession? Uh, it's, it's an in, incredibly honored position to be in. It's a really neat um, responsibility to take on when you're serving your students. I would say that one of the big things to keep in mind is don't forget um, why you're teaching. Uh, my mentor teacher way back when, gave me this little gem of a nugget of don't forget that you can either teach to live or you can live to teach. Mm -hmm. And there's that massive balancing act in there that you, you need to make sure you maintain because you pour yourself too much into one or the other and both end up suffering from it. So that is a huge nugget that I would like to pass on. Another one is to always keep a drawer or a folder or something of feel good moments you have whether it's things that you've gotten from evaluations from peers or admin, or it's little notes that you get from your students. I um, have a wall dedicated to the artwork I get from my students, but then also in my desk, I keep a little folder and it's just one of those things where bad days happen. Days when you're like kicking yourself going, boy, did I mess that up? Or man, why am I doing this still? Those days happen to everybody. And it's nice to be able to pull out that little item and that makes you smile and makes you go, that's, that's why I teach. Yeah, this is why we're here. So, yeah. That's exactly it. And just making sure that you have access to something like that. I call it my fuzzy folder because it gives me that little nice, warm feeling of this is why I'm here. This is what my, this is what I do when I'm teaching. So definitely those are the two big things I would say to take away. I think we could all use a fuzzy folder from time to time. Uh, 
Todd, again, congratulations and thank you for sharing your thoughts. It's been it's been a great interview. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Again, that was Todd Knight, a science teacher at West Ada's Crossroads Middle School and Idaho's Teacher of the Year. It's been a big week at our homepage, idahoednews.org. Remember all those big topics I talked about at the very beginning of this podcast? Well, you can find stories about all of them on our homepage. Blake Jones goes in-depth looking at the school board election in West Ada. I take a look at a school board race in Post Falls that has gone national. I also take a look at what to expect when the Idaho legislature returns to town on November 15th. And also take a look at one of the Biden administration vaccine mandates and how it might affect colleges and universities and how that might affect the debate we hear when lawmakers return to town. Also, every week I take a look at the coronavirus case numbers and the coronavirus trends and how that's affecting schools. One other thing you will definitely want to look for at our homepage in the next couple of days, Sammy Edge has an excellent series coming on homeless students. She talks to students, she talks to parents, she talks to the workers on the front line helping homeless students. We know that there are 7,300 students who are recognized and identified as homeless in the state, and that's probably an undercount. Sammy looks at the, uh, at the issue and how the pandemic has made life even more difficult for homeless students. You will definitely want to check out that series. Watch us on Twitter, as always, at Idaho Ed News, because we'll tweet out our latest news. We'll tweet out links to our stories and any breaking news bulletins as they come along. Check us out on Facebook and comment on our stories there. And check back next Friday for another edition of this podcast. Until then, I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week.